Hello and welcome to BakaCast uh, for the second week, yes, the second week of the spring 2017 anime season. I'm your host, Dustin, and with me today is Larry. Hello. And Ben. Happy Passover, everybody. Woo! Definitely partying, well, partying hard, aren't you, Ben? Uh, yeah, I had, let's see, the equivalent of four shot glasses worth of uh, rosé at the Congregational Seder. Go me. Nice. <laughs> so, in other words, you're um, a few proof. <clears throat> no, not really. Oh, darn. Uh, Aaron and Megan are not with us today because they are both having dental problems. <laughs> so hopefully they'll be back soon and feeling better. Um, Alright, since this is probably going to be uh, the first episode I put up on Audio Entropy, we might have new listeners. If you are, hi! This is an anime podcast, if that wasn't already obvious by the title. Uh, specifically an anime podcast where we review the current shows of the season weekly. Um, not all of them, though, because that would kill me. I would pro- I would want to shoot myself by the end if look, I had to watch look, every look, single one of these shows. Look, with, you know, like 40 shows a season showing up, there is no way that you can watch all 40 shows and then turn around and try to review them. 40 shows a season, most of them light novel garbage. Most, uh, but not all. Uh, so yeah, this is this is a, specifically a weekly anime show where we just pick like maybe five that we actually like. <laughs> and there's a website that's attached to it that we'll talk to you about later, and you can post comments there. And we got an email that works most of the time, and you yeah. can send us comments there. And I'm not giving I'm... out anybody's phone number, so forget that nonsense. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't send me texts. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah, all told, I watched about two dozen shows. Uh, because, That's a lot. Because Benjamin is our resident, doesn't have a whole lot of... So he's got a lot of free time on his hands. Yeah, I'm... Well, I, uh, yeah, basically, I'm unemployed and I don't play video games. Yeah, it gives I you mean, a lot like, of free time. To be fair, I'm part-time, so I have a significant amount of free time, but also I spend a lot of significant portion of that playing video games. So, And I'm like, in the middle. I do next to nothing and play a few video games. <laughs> if I didn't play video games, then absolutely, I could theoretically watch two dozen episodes of anime a week. No, but I also, think could handle it. <laughs> I don't think that would be... I don't think that would work out for, work out very well for my well, psyche. They, you know, they've got these new kegerators down there, relatively cheap. You just get one of those, set them in your room, and that way, all you have to do is reach over and pull the handle. Yeah. Also, okay. I'm I'm checking audio entropy right now, and just to, I'm not sure if you can actually leave comments on that site. It doesn't look like you can. So we might still be using Project Haruhi to take comments. I'm That's not fine. sure how that's going to work. I'll figure I'll figure that out eventually. Yeah, hey, you know, it's like anything new. When we first started this podcast, we had no idea what we were doing. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, <laughs> That's I think for we, sure. I think when we, we started this doing. podcast, it was literally just me complaining, like, uh, complaining to, like, John how he had become part of the Japan Shore podcast. 
and he was like well how about we just do our own podcast like literally right now i'm like i don't know what to talk about and he's like we can just do whatever i'm like all right sure so if you go back let's talk about some whales i guess yeah so if you go back on on itunes you're gonna find maybe like the first 10 or 15 episodes that we did like eons ago were maybe don't listen to though the maybe don't listen to those though because they're kind of bad Wait a minute. Now this is called self improvement. You got to show the world that you're improving. So yes, you start out with who, and you end up with who. Who? Anyway, I, I, yes, I understand that argument, but on the other hand, I'm self conscious. Well, you know, buddy, it's on the web, so it's going to be there long <laughs> after we're both gone. So don't worry about it. Yep. Okay. Moving right along. If aliens <laughs> find this podcast, I fear for what they will think about humanity. Well, we're not um, transmitting it into the atmosphere, so they were going to have to come here to find it. Uh, anyway. Unless, unless somebody goes to Mars and takes it, well, takes us to Mars. Yes, yeah, so you can probably still leave comments at www.projectarhe.net. That might be where the show notes will also be, in addition to on Audio Entropy itself. Who knows? Um, but yeah, let's start with Little Witch Academia, episode 13 and 14. 13 being sort of the end of the the second part of the festival arc which mm-hmm. was very good uh and sort of had had a couple nice uh sort of fulfillments of character har- character arcs with like Akko's friends Susie and uh Lati Latte Lot uh Latte Lota Okay, whatever. I'm going to say latte. (laughs) Yeah, because it's the way it translates out. Because she sensed coffee. Um, Yes. But (laughs) uh, sort of having her friends, like, decide, like, you know what? Actually, yeah, Akko is good and kind of cool. Well, okay, maybe not cool, but she's charming. And we will help her out because she deserves it. Uh, and having Diana be like, okay, well, maybe Akko ha- is good after all. <laughs> yeah, Akko is good in a crazy sort of way. Uh, I I really liked how during the confrontation with the monster that is supposed to eat them and digest them, uh, when Akko is doing her metamorphosis, it doesn't quite work out that well, but that actually makes it better than if it had worked out well. Mm-hmm. Like, the <clears throat> fact that Akko's creatures are always somewhat off or, like, bizarre actually play like actually works out for her in the end. I like the, the three visiting senior members saying they're going, what cheesy magic, but it's so much fun. Yeah, yeah. And then we get the cool scene with, like, unlocking the next uh, magical phrase for the uh, the shiny arc. The shiny, um, the shiny rod. Shiny rod, okay. Right, shining arc is, like, a form it can take. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. Um, that's, like, its bow form. Um but yeah, it w- this episode was a lot of fun, um, and was like a a good a good like capstone to some of the character arcs that were going on. <coughs> uh, 
And then 14 came along, and that's also good, but also I'm not entirely sure how to feel about that reveal at the end, even if it was blatantly obvious by halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, like, well, and and Ursula's kind of caught up on Croy too. She's like, well, "What are you doing here?" Because like the because like the whole thing in fourteen is that the magical creatures go on strike and block the witches from using the sorcerer stone because the witches are taking like are basically hogging all its magical power and leaving almost nothing for the magical races that like need it to live survive yes yeah whereas the witches are just using it for a bunch of like completely magic. yeah well i mean both both like magic to practice but also like completely uh but also just like to so they can just not work hard mm-hmm. <laughs> um so that's kind of the primary conflict and akko even joins the side of the protesters because he's like you know what that is kind of bullshit yeah, pretty much. Uh, and like it's a, it's a good conflict to tackle. Um, I like that kind of element, and I, I like the idea of here comes Professor Croy, and her technology that could like allow everyone to use what they need without having to make too many compromises. And this just immediately rejected because, ah, oh, tradition. Well, you know what? There's an old saying that, you know, you don't get something for nothing. So her energy available has to be coming from somewhere. Yeah, uh, it's initially explained as, like, the Sorcerer's Stone because, like, the way the Sorcerer's Stone works is that excess energy during each day is just being sort of waste uselessly dispersed mm-hmm. so there's actually enemy that you, there's actually energy you could be using that is just it's it's almost like when you have a very large dam you don't actually use all the water that the dam is collecting because especially like with the Colorado River a lot of that water is actually just evaporating like, I think I read an article once talking about the inefficiencies in the Colorado Dam and how it's contributing to, like, the droughts in California and that area. Just by the fact that, like, 30% of the water collected by the by the dams there for the Colorado River just evaporate. Yeah. And so that's, that's in a sense, what's happening to the Sorcerer's Stone, or at least how Professor Croy describes it. So it's like, if we just made better use of the stuff we're collecting, we wouldn't have to make these compromises. Um, and, like, everything starts to go to hell when, like, the, one of the, uh, flame sprites is just attacked and everyone thinks it's the witches who did it, uh, and then it turns out near the end that Professor Croy manufactured this, like, manufactured that conflict the whole time to get people to buy into her like magic storage the the sorcery solution system i think is what she called it yeah Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm of mixed feelings about that uh partly because i just super dig professor croy's design and kind of just don't want her to be a bad guy just on an aesthetic level um but also i have i have a more nuanced approach than just that uh 
I I see a scenario in which this ca- that can work. Like sort of how I end up feeling about Professor Croy will depend a lot about how later episodes handle <laughs> uh, sort of the la- the relationship between the witches and magic and the magical creatures. Yeah. Um. So like if if they use the arc to say like this technology can be good but we shouldn't just use technology to like allow ourselves to excuse our bad habits um which in the term which in the which for the witches would be like just using like using magic to be lazy as opposed to like using magic for things they actually need um then that could work like professor croy like sort of tricking tricking them being like hey you can you can still use magic for a bunch of useless petty junk and everyone will still have enough uh magic left over i promise by the way i'm siphoning all this stuff to use for an evil plot then i can see how that could work if it's just like if it just ends up being like, oh, don't trust Professor Croy and her technology, then I'll be... Yeah, then you're wrong. Th- I, I'm with you on that. Then I'll be less enthusiastic about it. I'm, but... uh, yeah. You know, the plot of this episode, it kind of reminds me of uh, an old an old book by Larry Niven called The Magic Goes Away. Uh, <clears throat> which had, which was like, you know, it took place in this setting where, you know, it's like this sort of mythical past age where, you know, everything used to be running on magic, but, like, the magic was a limited resource that was being depleted. And so, like, all these magicians who'd been throwing around, like, magic like crazy a few years ago are, like, having to learn to live with less magic. You know, but then somebody has a bright idea that, you know to get around that, but it turns out to be worse than the, uh, worse than their original problem. Anyway, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was really, it, it was kind of an interesting book. It was written in the 70s, you know, in the time of the, the oil shock. And so, you know, magic was clearly a, a metaphor. An analogy. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was, yeah, it was a metaphor for resource exhaustion. You know. And so, like, the whole plot was the metaphor for the oil crisis of the time. And My parents actually own Larry Niven's Ringworld, which I, I always saw on their shelf, and I was like, this looks interesting, but I never got around to reading it. Yeah, he, uh... So, but he... yeah, after pretty much dissecting those two episodes... Well, I think Ben has a little more to say about yeah, it. Yeah, uh... True. Okay, right and it. yeah and so yeah what's sort of interesting is yeah the uh you know the old professors seem to be they seem to have the right intuition but for the wrong reasons yeah and i'm yeah i'm definitely wary of how that's going to play out uh, you know i hope they do this with a you know with a bit more nuance because the potential yeah. is there but I'm not sure how it'll play out. Yeah, because like if if it's the best case scenario that I described, then like that that could actually be a really cool series of episodes, and I'd actually super dig that um, because because it is a very relevant problem. 
in first world countries. Um, well, going back to a few things at the beginning of this, Ursula was going to tell Akko everything. And then she got summoned to be energy collector. And I like the milk cans. The milk cans were classic. <laughs> oh, poor, poor uh, Ursula. <laughs> yeah. And then she gets back and finds that Akko is... Uh, infatuated with Croy and Ursula doesn't like her or does, I mean, by her comment was like, Croy, what are you Yeah, clearly Ursula knows that Croy isn't up to no good and that they have a history. And that means how soon does Akko find out what she needs to know? And if I remember right, when all seven words are done to the rod, it's supposed to relieve the witches from reliance on the sorcerer's stone. Yeah. So yeah, wait, wait. There's all this. Man, I super love the look of those like mad sorcery cell phone apps, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, so I, I kind of hope, you... even if Professor Croy is defeated, that those things stick around because those look rad. <laughs> Croy looked, looked <laughs> no, rad. I'm totally with you there. Yeah, yeah, Croy has so, a fantastic uh, I'm, design, uh, too. I'm with uh, a 5 on 13 and a 4 on 14. Uh, yeah, same here. I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I, I agree with that, yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's head over to My Hero Academy, episode 15. I'm, I'm happy for whenever Mount Lady shows up. Mm-hmm. Because it's usually funny, and this this episode was no, no exception. <laughs> She's like, "Ah, oh, dang, I don't have enough money to buy it," <laughs> and the and the vendor is like, "It's fine. It's fine. You can just have it for free because you're hot." Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, "Thanks, I appreciate it." Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's very smile and wiggle-ish yeah. there, shall we say. And then she's walking, eating it, and the guy's going, I don't believe you just did that. Yeah, I did. Watch. You want to see me do it again? Yeah, yeah Midnight Midnight was also pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that they're... I sort of like the kind of meta joke that they made when the other classes came out into the arena. It's like... And here comes Class B or whatever, who hasn't gotten much attention, but they're just as good. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> we sure have focused on just one class so far. <laughs> Usually when shows lampshade stuff like that, it just feels kind of cheap, but I, like, but Hero Academy is good enough, like, is is just a really solid show, so when it does do that lampshading, it's actually kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it seems that, yeah. So the thing about this arc is that, yeah, is that Todoroki uh, comes into a bigger focus here. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, we start getting more into his backstory. Which is nice. I, because, like, every side, every, like, secondary character in. Well, I've I've said this before, before, but like every secondary character besides the dude with the ball heads, uh, with the sticky balls, is fantastic. So focusing on any of them is honestly a good idea. 
and I am all for. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I as you know, as someone who read the manga, I can tell you, yeah, there's going to be a lot more Todoroki in this arc. Also, like the action sequence he has at the end is super cool. Uh, I really like the show showing off what the heroes can do um, and how some powers that you wouldn't necessarily think are the best can actually be pretty terrifying. Um, it, it reminds me of, like, uh, I can't remember which X-Men series it was, but, like, there is a commonly held... Uh, it's kind of commonly held canon now that, like, Iceman, a.k.a. Bobby, is the most powerful X-Man in existence because he, he could theoretically stop entropy because of his power, because of how his power works. Uh, so, like, taking a, so taking a power that looks, like, fairly straightforward and making it, uh, like, really cool... Um, and surprising you with its abilities is something I've always been a fan of. And that definitely happens at the end of this episode. Yeah, and then his mother at home going, Don't do that, you're gonna get Oh me. yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I always forget the main character's name, but uh his mother is great. <laughs> yeah, his name is his name is Izuku. Izuku, right, yeah. 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 I love but yeah, Izuku's mom is adorable, and I love how enthusiastic she is about everything her son does. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's kind of a nice change of pace from 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 like anime protagonists whose care whose parents are either dead or absent or like jerks. It's just like no, he his mother is there and she's a good person and she supports him at all times. And and she's still confused why all of a sudden her son has a quirk, but she doesn't yeah. care. It's 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 just fr- refreshing to have a protagonist who doesn't really have much angst in the home life, and whose angst mostly comes from like their their own personal struggles. And, you know, we, we need to put in the little, the, the Suya, you know, ribbit. <laughs> that character. Of course, then again, that, that character. Yeah. Sue is real good it's still. Kinda... Yeah. She's always fun. <laughs> yeah. I also like that, that, uh. Hero Academy like has a dedicated press box for the for the tournament arc because that's something that doesn't really happen. Like, whenever things have tournament arcs, it's like uh, in some sort of secret society or something, or it's like in an academy or where it's, they they have some sort of excuse where like only the people in this in this battle royale know about the battle battle royale whereas like in my hero academy it's a whole like entertainment spectacular and that that lends a like different flavor to it that's really kind of that's really kind of interesting well yeah because uh yeah because this tournament is like the equivalent of a major league sport yeah yeah, I mean, this is if you do good here, you know, you, you can 
that all the scouts are watching. Yeah, it's it's like yeah. the NCAA. It's like March Madness, but with people who can shoot ice from their hands. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but yeah, I I just super dig basically everything Hero Academy does, and this episode is no exception. So I'll give it a five. Five. Yes. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Another thing. Thing about this, like, right? <laughs> yeah. Getting back to the characterization of Midnight, you know, they, yeah, they, yeah, they they call her like the R-rated hero. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's the thing is, is that in the manga, it like, like because of the because the manga's in black and white, the way she's drawn, it totally looks like her boobs are hanging out. <laughs> oh no. Um. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, like, yeah, in the anime, it, it's clear that you know, yeah, she's just wearing this skin-tight outfit. <laughs> that ah, uh, yes, the benefit of color. Uh huh. Yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on to uh, Alice Tozoroku, uh, episode two, which this show was significantly more entertaining than I expected it was going to be. Like I know that, um, like I I know that you really enjoyed it, Ben, and so did you, Larry. Uh, but like I was still a little hesitant, simply because, like I'm always a little hesitant when the main character is very much in that sort of like gothic Lolita, gothic Lolita style. But that's not really what they're going for here. It's like yeah, she's wearing like the the girls with superpowers are wearing sort of like frilly Victorian dresses but it's very much not catered it's very not it very much doesn't seem geared to that particular otaku subculture it's certainly not fetishized yeah it, well and, and, and when the granddaughter dresses her up I mean like if she she changed her whole style if anything it seems almost like it's supposed to freak you out that these little girls are being given phenomenal cosmic power because again they are little girls with like all the world knowledge of and sensibilities of little girls who can just do whatever the hell they want at any time <laughs> and that's a little scary uh and and like the the sort of uh, police agency investigating it is treating it as as serious of a threat as you expect they should. Where it's like, yo, this is probably bad. Um, I do like how, like, obviously it's clearly supposed to be an Alice in Wonderland metaphor. Um, I like how that sort of influences some of the design of the things in the show. Uh, for example, I like that when they activate their powers... Uh, the crystal things that pop up are in the shape of flowers, uh, very clearly um, calling back to the idea of the Red Queen painting painting flowers, different colors. Um, which brings me to my theory that the main character is not actually Alice at all, but will end up being like the Red Queen. Uh, I don't know what that means for the show in general, but... Well, that's the thing. They, they flat out call her the Red Queen. 
Oh, okay. They, Do they win? In the first episode, <laughs> in, fir- in the first episode, her co- uh, Sana, you know, the main girl, her code name is Red Queen. Uh, seriously, God. <laughs> yeah, the twins are the ones. Oh, okay. Uh, and I don't know, and I don't know how no, we get to Alice yet, no, unless the granddaughter uh, no, names she, are Alice. The, Okay. Yeah, I thought I was being all smart and stuff, and then they just outright state it, and I just fairly wasn't paying attention. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It, that, okay. The scientists, <laughs> the scientists who, uh, the scientists who were doing experiments on her gave her the code name Red Queen. Uh, okay. And her her power set, her power set is called Alice's Dream. That's where the Alice comes from. Is that, uh, okay. Okay. Is that Alice's? Yeah. Is that Alice's dream is the name for their, for the girl's powers. Okay, that's just the name of their powers in general. All right. <laughs> I I do like how the setup, which I initially thought was like, sort of too overpowered, um, but they actually use, they actually use the um, the range of things the girls can do to make some surreal stuff happen. Like, it's not just, like, energy blasts and stuff. It's, like, uh, I mean, like, the first episode has a woman just attack with a giant hand. <laughs> and then, like, the, the twins, uh, like, try and capture Sana with a bow and arrow that changes into, like, anchors and, uh, like, a grappling hook. And so, like, they they use the premise of the series to have very creative uses of the powers of the power systems. Well, yeah, uh, but, which is really nice, right? Because, uh, yeah, because the the source of these powers, I mean, aside from like the power, it's the girls' imaginations. Because yeah, you know, so the so what you know the form that these powers take comes from the imagination of these girls. Which is another thing I super liked about, like, the police investigating it. I think it was in episode two where they show, like, a, a, a film of some of their investigations and one of them is just, like, these walking, like, vials of liquid. They're, like, walking on all fours and, they're and like, the police watching are like, what is this? Are, like, are they alive? And, like, the, then the investigator is like, yeah, they're alive. And it's, like, just this presented as, as this weird horrifying thing that these little girls can just make life out of like whatever they want which like it is like if you think about it it is terrifying um i i feel like the show the show has this really interesting balance between like sauna's interaction with the main with the main cast is like very funny and good um i especially love how i especially love the old man who's very is who's cranky and uh like down to earth in a way that is great thank you thank you thank you yeah thank zoroku you. for 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 us, for us old cranky yeah, no, guys like he know. honestly does feel like if if larry were like if you cranked up larry's sort of world weariness and patience like cranked up his world weariness and like cranked down his patience for bullshit (laughs) hmm you've left me uh but yeah it's 
there are, there are actually like a lot of good jokes. Um, the one that just destroyed me in the second episode was where Sana is Sana is waiting for pancakes. And she decides, like, I can't wait any longer. I'm impatient. I want a pancake now. So she just summons a giant table-sized pancake. <laughs> and it, like, it knocks her out with the force of its landing. And it's amazing. Well, and I think it tapped yeah. all of her power. Yeah, so too. the problem... And it, oh, right, that's right. She wasn't knocked out by it. She was knocked out because, like, she used up all of her... Yeah, she used up her power. Magic juice. And, and the catch is, is that... Yeah, is that... <laughs> Is that making food, you know, it, you know, the process of, like, you know, conjuring food takes up more energy than you get from the food. So, it it's a net loss. <laughs> and Yeah, so... Yeah, yeah Sanai points that out as, like, oh, so con- conservation of energy. So Yeah, so that was really funny, and, like, there, there are honestly some really good jokes scattered throughout. And, like, it maintains a very nice balance between, like, that lighthearted atmosphere and also the serious nature of, like, the Earth is kind of now just at the mercy of these terrifying little children. (laughs) Well, it's like when she's all full of food and everything, she looks at Sané and says, Oh, hey, let me take you back to the uh, laboratory because uh, I'm going to crush it real good and I want you to be there when I do it. After they made the whirlwind jog around the planet. Yeah. Penguins. Yeah. I also like that part where it's like, oh, sweet, penguins, we're at the South Pole. This is amazing and cute, but also I'm about to freeze to death. Yeah. Yeah, so Alice is actually really good. I also wasn't expecting the first episode to be, like, basically a double episode. Uh, I mentioned it last week, I believe. I yeah, but I probably forgot. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was great, and uh, I give it. Uh, yeah, actually, I was not expecting to like it as much as as I did, but it deserves the five. I give it a four. Uh, I I, think, <laughs> I don't know the I. Something about the the pacing of the especially the second episode felt kind of off to me. See, I, I really liked how the second episode was paced, but I can but it, it 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 I can see it feeling a little weird, yeah. And well, well, what got me was that, like, yeah, all this like stuff happened that amounted to not really all that much, and yeah, what threw me off was uh was the granddaughter's kind of slow delivery. Like, yeah, like, the way she delivered her lines was, like, really, it was, like, really chill. I kind of like that, though. That's, that's what actually, like, it was, that's actually what first um, made me like her, was how very chill she is. Well, I like her personality, but I think, I don't know, the slow delivery just got old after a while, so... Well, you know, maybe it's because Grandpa has to take things in slow, so you know you kind of deliver. But yeah, I can see where you're you're, you're headed on that. But 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 it yeah it her does it, add to yeah her but character. like her personality was great. Uh, yeah, I yeah I loved her attitude. <laughs> Not a whole lot bothered her, but then again, yeah she's yeah uh, yeah because like right because there's the implication that. Like, Zoruku is, like, mobbed up. 
Yeah, I, and I love their, uh, I, well, I love that, how well, they're the, like well, uh, monitoring him, and then it turns out like, oh yeah, his mob connection is apparently like, or at least his current mob connection is selling flowers to mob to the yakuza. Yeah, <laughs> Just, well, selling it to the guy so he could go propose to his which girlfriend. Which is super yeah. good. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I, I think the best thing was when the pigs got loose in the uh, uh, The pig shop. summoning was fantastic. They said there's there was so much to look at at this episode. I mean, we could spend the half, we could almost replay the episode per line, but it was it was a five-ish. I loved it. Uh, I liked it. Now I liked it a lot. I'll give it that. Now let's move on to soccer soccer quest episode two, uh, which actually which was entertained me pretty much about it, pretty much about as about as much as I thought it would. Um, which is to say, like it was perfectly competent and not really much more, in my opinion. Um, like I was hoping that epi- I feel like e- episode one isn't necessarily a fair episode to judge it by because it's like very, very setup heavy. Episode two, however, like gave a lot more attention to the characters, um, and. Even then, it was still just kind of, like, fine. Um, there was one joke I really liked with the girl with the brown hair and a ponytail just, like, very casually picking up a centipede with some chopsticks as the other two uh, girls freaked out. And it's just like, I don't, I don't get what the problem is here. Um, but, like, other than that, like... It, it made me, like, grin occasionally, but it was just so very low-key in a way that, like, some of PA work shows have been that, like, it... I can't really say anything particularly negative to say about it, but I also can't think of anything particularly positive to say about it. It just makes not much of an impression on me. I enjoyed it overall. Uh, yeah, I just... I don't know. I just I like the way they like these characters bounce off each other. It's just yeah, it's just fun to watch. Uh, I'll give it a four. Uh, I mean, my main issue with that is I feel like they don't bounce off each other so much as like lightly brush against each other. <laughs> um, like there's there's not really much conflict at all. There's like the personality types even though they can be disparate they don't really clash in a way they don't really clash much at all and certainly not in a way that like i found to be particularly like uh entertaining or hilarious um it's just very again it's just very low key there's not much of there's not much of an extreme in any sort of direction yeah. yeah, I didn't have a problem settling into the vibe that the show was given. Thought it was yeah, like I, I can, I, I can see how someone would be into it. It's just, it's just a little too chill for my tastes. There's like, there's just not enough happening for me. Um, so I'll give it a three. Okay. Uh, let's move on to Eccentric Family, Season 2, Episode 1, which, man, like, 
I've forgotten how much I appreciated the dialogue in Eccentric Family. It's very mm-hmm. good. Uh, yeah. the, the only dialogue that was missing was Benton's. And it's got a lot of energy to it. Um, and, like, I... After watching a lot of shows where... Um, the a lot of shows that were kind of okay where the dialogue was very kind of perfunctory and largely uh largely just like there to be to facilitate the plot moving along i it's it's made me appreciate eccentric family style more where where the dialogue has a very nice rhythm to it and it's like it's it's it super draws out the the personalities of the characters that are saying them and there's a really nice balance between exposition and like witty banter and serious conversations um it ah it's just so wonderful to hear these people speak and to read their dialogue up on the screen mm also, I just love the animation style a lot. And can you believe it's been four years? Yeah, it's been way too. It's been too long. Yeah, this is also done by PA Works, but a different team than the ones who did soccer than the ones who were working on Soccer Quest. Yeah, I like. I guess to briefly describe the the plot, like this is kind of this seems to be about like they folk they immediately focus on the Tengu more than they did in season one. Which is fair, because, like, mm-hmm. a lot of season one was focusing on, like, the backstory of the protagonists and kind of, like, uh, like how they relate to other Tanuki and just Tanuki politics in general. Um, whereas, like, the Tengu were just kind of, like, these sometimes antagonists, sometimes wary friends, wary allies, depending, uh, with most of the character development given to Ben 10 and her sensei. Whereas this one is immediately focusing a lot more on the Tengu side of things. And I dig that approach actually. Like uh, that, I think that's a good decision. Um, well, yeah. And I, I'm, I mean, I think the first, the, yeah, I mean like the first season, I think it got all the mileage it could have out of, you know, out of, you know, you know, the main character, you know, the, the Tanuki family, you know, the, the brothers and their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm really excited to see a sort of the, the protagonist family, like, getting sort of wrapped up uh, in Tengu politics now and that whole thing. Um, because I really like how the Tengu operate, too. Whereas, like, the Tanuki are kind of these, like, pranksters. The... Tengu are essentially politicians. <laughs> They're a bunch of haughty opportunistic backstabbers. Uh, well, <laughs> let's see. Well, there's also a bunch of them that are like gangsters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but again, like a lot. Of, but again, like, they're, they're gangsters in a way that, like, they're professional gangsters. So, in other words, they're haughty, opportunistic backstabbers. Yeah. Uh, um, it's just a different flavor of politician. 
so I'm I'm really digging what I'm seeing so far of the direction that season two is taking. I already really like the new character they've introduced, um, yeah. like the Benten Sensei's son. Yeah, uh, um, well, the, the Sensei is uh, Akadama, and uh, the son is yeah. Nidaime. Yeah, Nidaime is a really fascinating character, like, almost immediately. Uh, yeah, especially when he says, yeah, I'll take care of Dad. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm going to take care of Dad. Then, of course, to protect Sensei, he poses as him and goes, yeah, I didn't know you grew a tail. I also <laughs> really like Oops. how different... Uh, oh man, I wish I could remember the main character Tanuki's name. Uh, Yasuboro. Yas- y- Yasuboro. Yeah, Yasuboro. I really like the how different his relationship with um, the new Tengu is when compared to Ben Ten. It's like Ben Ten and him have a very sort of playful relationship. Um, like Ben Ten teases him a lot. He teases her a lot. Um, and like they're both a little aloof um uh, but they do care about each other and that lets them like sling barbs at each other more whereas his relationship with this new tengu like it's still kind of like playful but in a much more sort of like uh polite and respectful way because they don't have the same relationship with each other at least not yet uh i just I just super love how these subtle relationship differences play out in how the dialogue <laughs> is constructed and like tone of voice and it's uh, I can't say enough good things about eccentric family. <laughs> yep. So I'll give it a five. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm, absolutely agree. I'm giving it a five. I I mean <laughs> Yeah, my memory of some of the some of the bits from the first season is kind of foggy because it's been a while. But it, yeah, like four years. But I'm still loving this. Are you still doing your podcast? Yes, that's okay. <laughs> All right, uh, on to another thing that got a second season that I was surprised by, but is not turning out quite as well. Is Rage of Bahamut Virgin Soul episode one? Um, uh, I think it's still pretty good. It's not quite on the level of the uh, the early parts of the first season. Yeah, I'd say it's about equal with later episodes of the the original Rage of Bahamut, but that's because the later episodes of Rage of Bahamut were like like it steadily it got progressively worse and never really recovered. Um, but even at its worst, even at <laughs> even at its worst, Rage of Bahamut was a still fairly solid series. Um, that was in, that was generally worth watching. Um, my main issue with it is that the main character in this one is feels more stereotypically anime protagonist than Amira did. Like she's very much got that sort of like goofy manic pixie thing going on, and oh, she loves food so much, and in fact, we're gonna have a random character who give her bread and she'll eat the bread and the random character will say gee you sure do love eating it's like yeah i think i i figured that out through context clues thank you um so like honestly basically all my complaints that i have about this initial episode stem 
from my dislike of this new character. Because everything else I think is really interesting, actually. Like, I like... I like the cameos from... Well, I guess not even cameos, because they're actually, like, just straight-up still main characters in this one, playing major roles. But uh, I, I like how the characters from the original series are integrated. Bacchus is always fun. Um, yeah, Kaiser. I like Kaiser. He's yeah. good. Uh, and, and I like how the demon dude from the first season is being used in a different way in this like and also is kind of like almost kind of like an anti-hero in this one now as opposed to just straight up a villain that's very that's a very interesting direction to take him in and you know she's living with Bacchus and the duck yeah so like like all the stuff kind of like around the new main character is actually really interesting and is like Uh, yeah super intriguing to me but Nina herself, like, is just kind of... I hesitate to call her... Well, let's see if hes- she grows on you. Let's I hesitate to call her straight up bad, because, like, there are elements that could be good about her. Like, I, I do enjoy how she likes every pretty boy she sees. That's actually kind of funny. I like how when she gets horny, she turns into a dragon. <laughs> yes, that was a great bit. Um, But, like... Just, just the way she talks just feels so artificial to me, and like very much trying too hard to be just cute and adorable and precocious. Uh, so maybe it'll get better as it goes along, but like, I just really want a mirror back, guys. I really do. Well, like, I mean, at least we'll have at least we'll have the zombie girl back, so that's something. Yeah, Rita, best best character back. Yeah, Rita shows up. But, Rita shows up at the end of the episode. Yeah, so so at least we're getting Rita again. And um, but yeah, like I'm I'm not convinced that bringing Nina in is a better solution than finding some way to like finding some contrived way to bring Amira back. Uh, the show needs more Favaro. That's what it. I'm sure he's coming eventually. Yes. Like surely, surely they wouldn't bring oh, yeah, every character but Favreau back. He's listed in the credits, so yeah, he's showing up. But yeah, so I, I'm, I'm gonna like this first episode wasn't as bad as I feared it might be, but it also wasn't quite as good as I hoped it would be. Um. So is the three about a number you're thinking? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think a three is is a good is a perfectly good score for it. I'm gonna give it a four. I thought it was solid, but uh, it you know didn't reach the heights of the the first season. Yeah, it, it's it especially wasn't even close to as good as like the first episode of the original series, which was like immediately like okay, this show is actually great. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely not uh, definitely not on that level. So. uh... That does it for our like normal weekly episode reviews. Well, uh, but we, I, well, let's see. oh Ben, do you do you have some stuff that you watch that you want to briefly talk about? Okay, uh, some okay, okay, some capsule reviews of uh, of a few shows that I watched. Uh, let's see. Uh, actually, Boruto got off to a pretty good start. That is shocking to me. <laughs> yeah, they uh. <clears throat> They, uh, it's, 
Yeah, it's it's pr- it's pretty good. It's uh, anime original so far because uh, they're showing like Boruto as like right when he enters ninja ninja school. Um, but yeah, solid solid start. I give it four. Uh, okay, Akashic Records is plays like Denpa Kyoshi in light novel Fantasyland. Not a good, which is not a good thing. So, okay, yeah, I mean, I remember you. I mean, you saw the first episode of Denpa Kyoshi and hated it with a passion. It was I. I believe you. I don't remember. Oh, this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah the one with. I threw that in. A sh- I threw that show in the trash basically immediately. I gave up after like five episodes and never looked back because it was just because like the teacher was so insufferably terrible. Even though he like, like he, we were clearly supposed to be rooting for the teacher, even though he was just the biggest jackass. Yeah, this is kind of this. This is starting to play kind of like that. Not quite as bad as Denpa Kyoshi at its worst, but still not good. Uh, yeah. Renai Bokun. Oh, yeah, and uh, anyway, Akashic Records, I give it a two. Uh, Renai Bokun, surprisingly funny. It, like, makes no sense whatsoever and doesn't even try. Rad. <laughs> it, it, it's like, yeah, it just, like, it just. Just like, just keeps throwing one gag after another. Uh, you know, but and you know some of them, but definitely not all of them. But some of them stick. I give it a three. Uh, Recreators is pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, the way it plays out is is that uh, basically a bunch of anime characters show up in Japan. You know, they they basically. <laughs> They, they, you know, they literally, like, come out of the, they come out of the screen and, like, into the city. and Oh, and, so and, Space Jam. And wreak havoc. Uh. It's, uh. I don't know. Anyway. It, it, I'm being partly tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, I know. You don't have to seriously answer that. No, it's. <laughs> yeah, but. Anyway, it's pretty good. I give it a four. Uh, Grimoire of Zero. It's, okay, it's a fantasy light novel adaptation, but it's pretty good. It, it's about the relationship between, like, this beast man and this witch who team up to uh, to get back her magic book. I mean, okay, that sounds pretty cool, actually. Yeah, and, like, but, yeah, like... But you know the the inner the uh, the chemistry between the characters is great. You know, cause like, you know, the Beast Man he's got, you know, he's got understandable understandable motivations. Yeah, you know, and you know he's definitely not a generic character. And the witch even less so. She's got this great, she's got this great like sarcastic, sarcastic attitude. And the way they play off each other is really great. I give it a four. Uh, Clockwork Planet, pretty generic light novel adaptation. A two. That's kind of what it seemed like, yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah. Uh, Berserk is more Berserk. Uh, is the animation still garbage? Yes, yes it is. The story... <laughs> That's so unfortunate. That's so unfortunate. I know, it's it's like... It's such a shame because, like, the story is so good. But the animation and the direction is just terrible. Berserk can just never seem to catch a break when it comes to adaptations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, okay, so then there's a... Uh, like the longest, longest title ever. Let's see. I'll, I'll, let me see if I can pronounce it. Shumatsu. Oh, I think I know what you're talking yeah. about. Here. Shumatsu nani shitomasuka isogashi deska skute murate i deska, which uh, okay, which gets shortened into suka suka. <laughs> Thankfully, <laughs> mercifully shortened into <laughs> yeah. It's but. It's actually pretty good. Uh, it... Okay, it's kind of like... It's kind of like a Black Bullet, except... It, except not creepy. <laughs> and, yeah, and that's definitely a good thing. Yeah, generally not keeping the creepy parts is a good idea. <laughs> right, I mean, yeah, because it seems like the basic plot is that... This, uh... <clears throat> that this guy... Basically, the last human living in a world full of, like, animal people and, you know, like, demi-humans, because uh, all the humans got wiped out, like, 500 years ago. Uh, so, like, right, so this... Because was stupid. So, the, yeah, so this human guy becomes caretaker to a bunch of uh, super-powered, super-powered little girls. Who are apparently literally well, leprechauns he's from a five hundred year. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> pretty much so. Yeah, one, but like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's like okay, so it's about a guy, you know, about a guy, you know, you know basically a guy and a bunch of little girls, but the girls are never the girls are never fetishized, you know, they're and they're just like they're adorable. And they become one big right. happy family. You know, so it avoids so it avoids falling into trap the trap that Black Bullet did, where you know it tried to it sort of like semi sexualize the girls. So like, thankfully, thankfully it doesn't do that. And, okay, good. And it it actually and it had this really interesting bit in the uh, early part of the episode, or it had like this montage of this, uh, you know, the main character, you know, the main guy. You know, like going around, going around, going around town with this leprechaun girl. You know, and and it's done to the tune of it's done to uh, Scarborough Fair. Like they actually, <laughs> yeah. So like they actually play they they actually play a cover of Scarborough Fair while they're doing this this uh, this you know cute going around town montage. It's really that's pretty good actually. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I'll probably check that out and Grimoire Zero next week then. So yeah, promising. I give it a four. Sukika uh, Kure is a slow burn teen romance. Barely anything. No, thank you. Barely anything has happened. Uh, it's like no. yeah. So like the first episode is just like these two like ninth grade ninth grade kids, you know, sort of meeting each other and getting to know each other, sort of kind of. 
but really <laughs> slow. Yeah, if people in our audience can enjoy that sort of thing, more power to them. But that is very much not the genre I'm interested in. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, Seikai Surukado. Okay, this is... Okay, it's done by Toei, but, like, in their experimental mode. Okay. Um, That's that's the Toei that gave us one of my favorite anime of the decade in the form of uh, Kyoso Giga, so... Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, so like, yeah, what's weird about it, okay, episode zero is just, it just, episode zero just follows around this bureaucrat as he, like, tries to keep his factory open. And it's actually kind of cool, you know, just showing him, like, you know, you know, come, you know, politicking and going around, you know, coming up with a plan and you know, selling it to, selling it to his, you know, higher-ups in the government, it, you know, so it's like, it's more entertaining than bureaucracy has any right to be. <laughs> um, right. But then, in the last five minutes of the episode, aliens show up. Okay. Um, where, you know, we're like, you know, the main character and his, you know, the main character and his partner... You know, or like, on, you know, you know, they're on a plane. You know, at uh, you know, they're on a plane. They're about, they're you know, plane's about to take off from the airport when this like giant alien cube shows up and absorbs the plane. And like, that's the last five minutes of the episode. <laughs> and then the first five, the first five minutes of the uh, of a, of episode one just repeats that. So that part is kind of annoying because they really didn't need to repeat that. <laughs> Like, that entire whole sequence. But then, but then, when it launches into episode one, it shows, like, how the government and all the airport personnel and the police and the army are reacting to this giant alien cube showing up. You know, which which seems to absorb the plane. Uh, And so, like, so, like, so it has these, you know, scientists and soldiers trying to test out, like, what are the properties of this alien cube, and, like, what is it doing there, and, like, what happened to that plane, and... That sounds really interesting, actually. (laughs) Yeah, it really, it, yeah, it really... It's really funny to me that, like, when Toei actually gets the go-ahead to do something, like, different, they usually come up with something very interesting. Oh, yeah, and the, uh, oh, yeah, and the scientists, like... The science, the chief scientist lady, who's like, you know, ordering all the tests on the cube, is, uh, is like just really fun, a really fun character. Uh, so good time, good times all around. Uh, all right, yeah, I definitely need to check that out then. I give the, I give both of those episodes fours, because the, uh, the bit where they repeated the, repeated all the footage was kind of annoying, but. Everything else is top notch. Uh, Fukumenke noise. Uh, teen romance with music. It has potential, but also has some kind of annoying aspects to it. Give it a three. Uh, Oshitsu Kyoshi Haine. Actually, kind of fun because, like, the tutor. Like, yeah, because it has like the main. The, the story is this uh, this guy who's like an adult man, but he looks like really childish. 
like he, he looks like a kid, but he's actually an adult man. Gets hired as a tutor to these four princes, and but they and but the thing about him is is that like the tutor, even though he looks like a kid, he actually has a like this low adult voice, which is really interesting to listen to. I actually see. I'm initially thinking like, oh, okay, it's it's one of that sort of conceits again. But then you said, oh, but he still has like the adult male deep voice. I'm like, yes, okay, that's a nice twist. Yeah, on and, the formula. Yeah, and yeah, he's got this. He's got this, and his attitude is just great. I mean, the princes are, you know, they fall into like, kind of like, uh, shojo, you know, shojo pretty boy stereotypes. Well, yeah, because, I mean, that's clearly the audience that this show is aiming towards. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Hinako Note, uh, forget about it. It's just a cute girls doing cute things show. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah. And, yeah, Larry talked about Frame Arms Girl. Yep. Uh, Kabuki Boo, not a patch on Rakugo, I'm sorry to say, but not bad. Oh, well. It's, yeah, it's like... Okay, structurally, it's just, you know, a guy tries to get this club together. So it's sort of it's sort of playing out like the early episodes of Chihaya Furu. Um, only not quite as not quite as good. Although some uh. of the some of the characters are some of the characters are amusing. Like, <laughs> so like this. Uh, so, like, one of the characters actually, like, comes from, a, like, a family of kabuki performers, but he wants to be a rock star, except he's tone deaf. So, like, his singing is horrible, and he's a complete chunibyo. It's, he was actually pretty funny. Uh, I give it a three, overall. And those are, yeah, that's pretty much, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, there. Yeah. One more. ID Zero. It's uh, pretty interesting so far. It's one thing about it. It's completely computer animated. Uh, it's done by Sansigan, who did uh, well. They did Arpeggio and uh, Babuki Baranki. Yeah, they still haven't quite figured out how to make uh, computer animation work for character animation. But the ships and robots are cool. Uh, and pretty interesting start so far. Uh, I would, I would give it a three, maybe a high three, low four. All right. Uh, is that about it? Yeah, that's about it for my capsule reviews. Uh, yeah. Okay. Moving on to the next thing. All right. Okay. Uh, let's talk about Your Name, because uh, Ben and I saw that movie recently. You, ben, you saw it yesterday, I saw it two days ago. Yep. Uh, for those who aren't aware, Your Name is the new movie by Makoto Shinkai, um, the pr- very promising uh, uh, director who also did Voices of a Distant Star, and uh, what was that... Uh, it was a pretty good, like, Ghibli-esque fantasy movie. Uh, Children did. Who Chased Lost Voices. Right, uh, yeah, Who Chased Lost Voices from Deep Below. Yeah, that one was very good, too. Um, yeah, I, I like ch- I like Children Who Chased Lost Voices. Uh, 
back in the yeah actually yeah actually they showed it on Cartoon Network one time. Good stuff. Yeah, your name is interesting um, because typically, well, I guess actually no, because I was gonna say typically Makoto Shinkai does sci-fi or fantasy stuff, um, but I just realized the movie he made before this one was very much down to earth and didn't have any really fantastical elements. Um, but uh, your name is very much like set in reality with some light fantasy uh, parts. Um, that's pretty much all confined in the premise, which is uh, Freaky Friday, but if Freaky Friday was good instead of dumb. Uh, where uh, it follows the uh, lives of uh, two characters, a uh, boy living in Tokyo and a girl living in uh, this rural town whose name I can't remember right now. Uh, but, and, like, they will randomly switch bodies, uh, and have to live out each other's lives. And what I really appreciate about the structure of Your Name is that it doesn't spend a lot of its time on sort of, like, the awkward cringe comedy. Yes. Like, it will have, it has moments of that, but it's largely not about, oh, they're having such trouble being in each other's lives and making such dumb mistakes. Like, they're largely shown to be fairly competent about living out each other's lives, and the movie as a whole is less about wacky hijinks and more about sort of the the characters appreciating the beauty in both each other's and their own lives because of the new perspective they get by swapping with each other. And sort of like how, and also like on a larger level um it's about how like the seemingly random uh connections made by people and like the like how people can come together and connect and like separate and all these seemingly random events like can have significant influence on the course of people's lives um which i think elevates it far above anything else that has really used that same Freaky Friday-esque premise. Yeah, I yeah, I was so relieved when they avoided, they, they avoided, you know, yeah, they avoided the cringe comedy. I was so relieved when they did that because, like, all the moments when, you know, they, you know, they, <laughs> all the moments when, you know, like, you know, the characters, they swap bodies, they... They make fools of themselves, but they do it out of, because of disorientation, that they're just like, they're in totally unfamiliar circumstances, not just because they're idiots. Yeah, and generally the people around them just kind of roll with it. <laughs> um, and, in some, and in some cases it actually works out pretty well for them. Yeah. Uh, especially in the case of, uh, uh, of the, of the girl who's, who, uh, when she gets into the boy's body and, like, uh, is able to very skillfully mend the skirt of the girl the boy has a crush on. It's... Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, right. The, uh, yeah, cause, like, the senpai, the senpai girl, the, yeah, it turns out the senpai girl likes him better when he was inhabited by a girl. <laughs> Which was kind of amusing. Yeah, I do like that, because, like, I also, yeah, because it's, it's kind of nice because they emphasize, like, um, 
the different ways that sort of boys and girls are trained to like behave and act and how it looks off when they swap uh and like how that's not bad it's just different um which i think is really emphasized by uh his crush who's like oh yeah i kind of liked you when you were more effeminate uh but yeah i i actually really appreciated that touch um that it's not bad for a boy to act effeminate it's just different um and it's and it's and and people aren't used to it um also that particular one also one of the the first time the girl ends up in the boy's body like i was watching the subtitled version um i'm not sure which one you were watching i watched the Okay, yeah, because they were offering it both in subtitled and dubbed. Um, and I've heard the dub was pretty good. Uh, but I'm kind of glad I saw it in subtitle because there is one particular joke near the beginning where the girl is screwing up the pronoun to use for her for the boy. Yeah. <laughs> while she's in the boy's body. Yeah. He, he... And, like, I do not envy the job of the localizers who had to figure out a way to be like, okay, how do we make this work in English? Because, like, you can't. Like, you can't do that. Yeah, it's like, wait, it's like, yeah, because, like, you know, she, uh, you know, in the boy's body, is like, talking with, you know, his friend, talking with the boy's friends, and, you know, it's like, starts out going, like, what does she? And the friends are like, what? And, like... Yeah, and then she goes through a series of other possible pronouns, like Ore and Boku, trying to find the right one. Yeah, and finally when she says Ore, like, the friends settle down, and they're like, oh wait, okay, now you're you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, that's a really good joke, um, but also, I, there's no possible way you could translate that accurately into English, because we don't have that sort of pronoun <laughs> stuff going on. Like, like, we don't have... Like, we don't have a gendered personal pronoun. <laughs> uh, so, like, I, man, like, you, you just have to somehow find a way to, like, make a joke that's adjacent to that. Or just, like, use the lip flaps for something else. And I do not envy that task. That must have been very hard. Uh, but, yeah, no, it was... I really enjoyed the movie. It's a beautiful looking movie. Like there are some shots in there that are just straight up gorgeous. Like there's one particular, there's one in particular I, I'm thinking of near the end where it's showing like, like a rainstorm at night in Tokyo, and it's like, oh my god, it looks so good. Uh, but also, just it's a very nice story, and like, I'm gonna be honest, based on what I know about how Makoto Shinkai likes to end his movies. There were several moments during my viewing where I was expecting that he would end it. And I was thinking, if it does end now, I will be very mad. <laughs> uh, but thankfully, it ended where I was hoping it would. And he did not go for like the easy kind of like, sort of bittersweet ending um so yeah so I, I i'm glad he was able to resist his usual impulses and actually like give just like a sort of nice pure happy ending yeah so if you're kind of so so if you're the person who's worried about that as going to go see a makoto shinkai movie going like okay but will it end like how shinkai movies tend to end like 
no. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. Although, like, I had some issues with how the last act went, uh, in that I, it felt like, it felt like, uh, piling on an extra contrivance for the sake of more drama. Uh, but it, you know, but it ended up, but it ended up in the right place. So I was overall satisfied with the movie. Yeah. I, I actually liked the middle act twist, or I guess well, third act. No, the, the, I, I'm not sure how long it... Yeah, the, the twist, the halfway through twist, that was fine. I liked that part. You know, because, uh, you know, the way it raised the stakes on the characters. You know, that, that worked. Uh, oh, you just didn't care for how, like, a, sp- a specific mechanic played out? I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Is it is it is it when like the discussion on the on the mountain? Uh, like the 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 twi- what, was it the twilight hour? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, well, it was after that. Okay. Yeah. It, well, but yeah, that's where it started to. That's where it started to drag for me, and I was like, "Oh, come on." I do. I do think it's dragged out a little bit too long. Uh, near the end, I will agree with that. Um, I think you probably could have condensed the the sort of the ending by about ten minutes, and it would have felt better. Um, but overall, like yeah. it's, I really enjoyed the movie, and I really liked what it had to say about um, about like normal lives and like the and like the sort of randomness of fate uh, and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah the, the way it was just a really, it was a really beautiful and uplifting film. Yeah, the way they used the the way they used the braid metaphor, uh, I thought that was really great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, go see your. Well, actually, it'll probably be out of theaters by the time this comes out. But uh, when you when you can, when it comes out on DVD or something, definitely check out your name or rent it from Amazon or whatever. Uh, because it's absolutely worth it. Yeah, five. Mm-hmm. I agree, five. Uh, so yeah, that'll be it for this episode of BakaCast. Oh, you know... I think. Uh, oh, wait, what What do we have? Uh, well, little housekeeping things. First, uh, we need to explain why we did not do, uh, Attack on Titan. Uh... Well, oh, I'm, I mean, I purposely left Attack yeah. on Titan off. No, well, I mean, neither you. I'm still watching. I'm I'm still watching it and still enjoying uh, it. Neither neither Dusty or I watched it after the first week. I guess we'll let we'll, we'll let Ben sit on the sideline, and if it gets really really good, then we'll. I, I'm I'm sure Ble- I, I'm sure Ben will be happy to like give a personal recap like he does with some other right. shows he's watching. And then and then yeah yeah. This week, this this week's episode focuses on Sasha, the Potato Girl. Oh, okay. I think I remember that part from the manga because I did actually read several several chapters um, after the first season ended, just to see what the hell was going to happen next. And I'll probably just end up doing that for the do that again, just like go just speed read the manga just to see if they solve any of the mysteries I was actually interested in. Okay, and then the other thing is for the new listeners, uh, 
No, even though it sounds like we're all in the same room, we're not in the same room. We're scattered from one end of the United States to the other. So sometimes if it sounds like one of us is maybe being a little rude or just kind of butting in, it's like, well, it's kind of hard to tell what somebody 2,000 miles away is thinking. So every once in a while you have to go, uh, you done? We have gotten a lot better about crosstalk, oh, though. It used to be, it used it to be used pretty to be bad. The bigger sons. Go back and listen to some of the early episodes. Yes. Um, yeah, we, we've gotten we've gotten a lot better about figuring out each other's personal rhythms. Some days. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Let's see, I think that was the uh, last bit of bit of housekeeping that needs to go. Oh, yes. Recording. Also, uh, did you watch Gundam Thunderbolt episode five? Oh, I totally forgot about Thunderbolt. Uh, we'll talk about that stuff next week. How about? Because uh, I do want Aaron on for that. Yes, fair enough. Yeah, so we'll talk about the Thunderbolt episodes that have aired next week. Uh, until then, um, I guess have fun, everybody. I I feel like I should come up with an actual outro now that I'm part of a actual podcasting network. I'll I'll brainstorm something. <laughs> uh, but anyway, Ben, Dustin, three, two, one. Kiribosh. Thank you for listening to BakaCast. If you like this show, we'll keep recording it. If you don't like this show, we'll keep recording it. Have a nice day. Because honestly, we don't really have anything better to do with our time. You got that right.